Hello. This is episode 5, part 1 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dan. The science of martial arts, called the Individual School of Two Skies, is something that I have spent many years refining. Now, wishing to reveal it in a book for the first time, I have ascended Mount Iwako in Higo Province of Kyushu. Bowing to heaven, paying respects to canon, I face the Buddha. I am Shinmen Musashi no Kami Fujiwara no Genshin, a warrior born in the province of Harima, now 60 years old. I have set my mind on the science of martial arts since my youth long ago. I was 13 years old when I had my first duel. On that occasion, I won over my opponent, a martial artist named Arima Kihe, of the new school of accuracy. At 16 years of age, I beat a powerful martial artist called Akiyama Atajima province. When I was 21, I went to the capital city and met martial artists from all over the country. Although I engaged in numerous duels, never did I fail to attain victory. After that, I traveled from province to province, meeting martial artists of the various schools. Although I dueled more than 60 times, never once did I lose. That all took place between the time I was 13 years old and the time I was 29. When I had passed the age of 30 and reflected on my experiences, I realized that I had not been victorious because of consummate attainment of martial arts. Perhaps it was because I had an inherent skill for the science and had not deviated from the principles. It may have also been due to the shortcomings of the martial arts schools of others. In any case, I subsequently practiced day and night in order to attain an even deeper principle, and spontaneously came upon the science of martial arts. I was about 50 years old at that time. Since then, I have passed the time with no science into which to inquire. Trusting in the advantage of military science, as I turn it into the sciences of all arts and skills, I have no teacher in anything. Now, in composing this book, I have not borrowed from the old sayings of Buddhism or Confucianism, nor do I make use of old stories from military records of books on military science. With heaven and canon for mirrors, I take up the brush and begin to write at 4 a.m. on the night of the 10th day of the 10th month, 1643. That is the preface of a book that is used by military strategists, Fortune 500 CEOs, and those seeking eternal self-discipline and self-mastery. A book called The Book of Five Rings. Completed by Miyamoto Musashi in 1645. While it's a text on Japanese swordplay in the era of duels, it is seen as a text on how to which, on how which one can live life. 
Miyamoto Musashi displays an incredible harnessing of the balance of opposites throughout this text. The five rings are actually indeed five scrolls. The earth scroll, the water scroll, the fire scroll, the wind scroll, and the emptiness scroll. This takes an immense depth of a person to create. Skill mastery unrivaled by any swordsman that the country of Japan, a country rich in swordsmen, is unrivaled. Only a skill master to end all skill masters could create such a text. To understand Musashi's road to skill mastery, one must understand that his father was a great warrior. A warrior who served a local shogunate in the western provinces of Japan in the time of feudal squabbles many. With his father revered, few dared to stand up to him. However, Miyamoto, a young seven-year-old boy, talked back to his father left and right. This was not received well. His father threw a knife at Miyamoto, with Miyamoto just narrowly dodging. This only infuriated his father more, beyond his just simple talking back and insolence. That he threw his son out of the house and disowned him. At seven years old, he walked from one province to another, seeking refuge with his uncle who himself was also a great warrior at one point, but had sworn away the martial way and lived in a Buddhist temple, and only lived a life of study and meditation. At this Buddhist temple, Musashi learned to meditate, he was educated, he learned to commune with nature. But secretly, he longed for the martial way. Secretly, he would go into the forest and hack trees with a sword. The first duel that Musashi spoke of, the first duel that he engaged upon at 13 years of age, was a response to that local samurai, giving a challenge, a challenge open-ended for a duel. It was one he had painted in a public space. And Musashi took up the brush and wrote his name next to his. The samurai laughed and took it as a joke. But with Musashi being serious, his Buddhist grand his Buddhist uncle rather rushed to stop him, horrified by the fact that in his eyes he failed because Musashi Miyamoto Musashi 
had taken up the Marshall Way regardless of this indoctrination or what one could call an intense education, an intense reprogramming, depending on whose point of view was listed at the time. He was horrified that he had failed to prevent Miyamoto Musashi from taking up the Marshall Way that he had rejected. Miyamoto would not listen, and he would fight the duel. The samurai saw it as an opportunity to just teach the young 13-year-old a lesson. However, after besting the samurai with quarterstaff, Musashi bludgeoned him to death. What was taken as essentially a sparring match by this renowned samurai was seen as a duel to the death by the young 13-year-old. This could only be fueled by an immense anger. This anger, of course, being at his father. The kind of anger that can fuel a man to do terrible things. And so, once defeating this samurai, Musashi began to travel. However, ironically, his travels would lead him along this western road in Japan to a town where his father now served. His father was serving a local feudal lord who was beginning to wage war on the island of Kyushu before subduing, or attempting to subdue rather, the provinces of the west. Musashi took arms alongside his father in a victorious campaign. Soon after this campaign, however, his father had retired from combat. However, Musashi grew even hungrier for combat. However, Musashi did not go the route of military conquests or feudal squabbles. Musashi was seeking skill mastery in single combat. This was a time and place where what one would consider a fighter and what one consider a soldier were both one and the same in terms of practice, in terms of the mastery of these martial arts, but were greatly different in terms of accolade. There were those who were storied military commanders, and there were those who were the great duelists. Musashi was to become the latter. And so Musashi traveled to the old capital of Japan, its then capital called Kyoto. It is there he would seek to fight many of the greatest swordsmen in the world. His first opponent would be in his visiting of the greatest, most renowned temple of swordsmanship for the past hundred years at the time. With his unique style of swordsmanship and holding the Japanese long sword in one hand and the short sword in the other, he challenged the school. The school very quickly accepted and pitted him against their greatest swordsman, their greatest student. 
Before the pleasantries of duel began, Musashi rushed him and defeated him before he could even react. And the nature of military or the martial nature of things, one could see this as clever, one could see this as correct, one could see this as greater. To the school, however, they were deeply shamed. And so the slain student's brother challenged Musashi. And this time, the brother drew first. Musashi was able to counter, outmaneuver him, outwrestle him at one point, and slay the brother as well. With the school feeling deep shame, many of its students circled Musashi, including its master. Musashi killed a dozen of these students before ultimately killing the master of the school. With the shock from the remaining students, Musashi was able to narrowly escape. He had toppled a school whose reputation had been sterling for a hundred years. But at this point he even told himself that he still had a lot to learn in order to achieve true skill mastery. So he traveled throughout the inner workings of Kyoto, challenging many more swordsmen and every time being more victorious. He traveled outside of Kyoto to schools with unique disciplines, schools with the discipline of the halberd, schools with the discipline of the lance, schools with the discipline of greater long swords. It didn't matter the style, Musashi always emerged victorious. This would see him return to Kyoto and opening up his first school. He was quickly flooded with students as his legend had now preceded him. But for his final duel, he would become a legend. A legend etched in time. Musashi traveled to an island of the western provinces and had rowed a boat to this man's island off the western provinces coast. A renowned warrior. A warrior who had been given the nickname of a demon. Musashi had gone to this village and challenged the man to a duel. He would return from the shore in which he rode through a day later. Instead of using a sword, Musashi took a piece of the boat and built a wooden replica of his blade. He was late to his meeting to unnerve the demon. And ultimately, 
the demon was slayed. Before the demon's falling could stir the inferno of the village's people, Musashi rode away back to mainland Japan. It was at this point in which he achieved enlightenment. That there were no other opponents truly to slay for him to become greater, and that his true greatness and skill mastery of the art of the sword would take refinement on his own. He would do this for 20 years, in tandem with opening and closing of many schools, one of which in the proximity of his father once again. That relationship had not improved by any means. It had only further deteriorated, with his father even criticizing his son's ability. Oh, the irony. Until his father's death. At this point, Musashi had trained many warriors, and Musashi had raised two adopted sons. But at 60 years of age, he knew it was time for his work as a teacher to transcend the time that his flesh would allow. And he wrote the Book of Five Rings. The Book of Five Scrolls. Soon after writing this work and one other work, his health began to deteriorate. He passed these works along to his greatest student. Eventually stopped teaching altogether. And like many other great men, death took him as well. When you read this man's words, when you start to soak in the essences of these scrolls, when you start to read the words between the words, You understand that this man was both the calmest, brightest summer day and as intense as kamikaze, divine wind, typhoon, the typhoon at one point that had saved Japan from Mongol invasion twice. He had this sort of great storm within him. It begins with the Earth Scroll, and the Earth Scroll in which he describes the other four. He speaks of few people being fond of the martial way of life. But he also describes that the martial way of life is the same as the mastery of the cultural arts and that every martial artist has mastered both. He says martial artists are often considered as people who are only thinking with one thought of being ready to die. And he says that this couldn't be further from the truth. He says a martial arts is 
based on excelling others in anything and everything. It says that in overcoming others, one is also excelling the willpower of mankind, the art of mankind, the martial way of mankind. He looks beyond swordsmanship. He says one could not learn swordsmanship by learning swordsmanship alone. Because swordsmanship itself is not swordsmanship alone. You hear this perspective of one who has gone through the longest, hardest, most arduous, most contemplative, most detail-oriented, most balanced, most contradictory journey. This journey of skill mastery. He starts with the Earth Scroll, talking about the straight path. Knowing the small by the small by the way of the great, one goes from the shallow to the deep. This is the science of martial arts. He speaks of the way of his individual school, that one gains the strength necessary to be a great warrior by allowing the weight of the longsword in one hand to forge strength itself. And this is the foundation for the school of two skies, of two swords. And the water school. He speaks of movement. He says water can be a drop and it can be an ocean. It is fluid. When you can defeat an opponent at will, this is tantamount to being able to defeat everyone in the world. The spirit of overcoming others from just one man, the spirit of one man being able to overcome many is the same as a thousand men being able to overcome tens of thousands. Combat is fluid, and combat can multiply. If one man is able to beat those ten men, then there's no reason why ten men of that same nature cannot be a hundred. Why a hundred men of that nature can't beat a thousand, and so on and so forth. He speaks of the man being the same as the army. There's no alteration in being. He speaks of the true martial way. It applies to the combat of feudal armies and it applies to the great duels. Drop to ocean, ocean to drop. The fire scroll pertains to violence itself. A fire on a large or a small scale has a sense of violence. The way to do battle is the same whether it is a battle between one individual and another or between two armies. Observe reflectively 
with the overall awareness of the large picture as well as attention to the precise details. This takes much practice of being aware of all that is in front of one and all that is surrounding one all at the same time. One must see the opponent's blade without looking at the opponent's blade. This also takes practice. A great general is aware of the smallest minute details and is equipped with the highest intelligence in the world of grand strategy. Changing direction of a large group of people all at once is impossible. as there are many minds and many bodies to move. However, the small scale is harder to know because in the case of an individual, there is just one will. And due to there only being one will, those changes can be made quickly. Both are equally as deadly. One must be familiar with both. So therefore, one can be equipped to defeat both. The wind scroll pertains to style. Musashi speaks of the many other great dojos and temples of the martial way all over Japan. Unless you can really understand others, you can hardly understand your own deeper self. He is a concept of the deviant. Even if you strive diligently, down a chosen path day after day. If your heart is not in it, if your heart is not with you, then this is a false path. And one must find the true path as soon as possible. These contradictions across the first four scrolls These balance and battles of opposites. F. Scott Fitzgerald's measurement of intelligence would certainly be satisfied. Through the expression and the attempt at describing the ways of certain movements of the sword, certain flowing movements, certain crashing movements, certain sudden movements and anticipated movements faints physical essences rhythms Musashi begins to paint a picture that becomes more and more about the martial way and in some ways less and less about the martial way it becomes more specific and more general all at once He speaks of the nature of the state of mind in martial arts. Due to the martial way having events happen in a flash should remain the same as normal. Your nature as a human being should not be any different than your nature as a soldier. This is very difficult to grasp. When he speaks of concepts like holding a guard, 
truly just being part of the same movement with the intent of killing. You do not go about your cultural arts, you do not go about your visual arts with the intention of killing. Yet he speaks of the being needing to be the same, both open and direct, neither tense nor lax. The mind is not dragged by the body, nor vice versa. Never insufficient, but never in, in excess. Let your mind be unclouded, an open place, with your intent upon a broad plane, but polishing it diligently, growing more and more specific, but not fixated, as fixation is the way to death, and fluidity is the way of life. The sword never has a true position. He describes the five positions of the sword, five guards. But he also speaks of never having a guard at all. There are so many things he speaks of that are open. Yet he speaks with such grave warning. Upon being just slightly off kilter. Upon the mind being just slightly in the, in the wrong spot. That in this way of life in particular, if you misperceive the path even slightly, if you stray from the right way, you will fall into evil states. Do not imitate teachings. Take the principles as if they were discovered from you, from your own mind. Identify with them constantly and work on them carefully. These contradictions this balance of opposites. It never ceases throughout the first four scrolls, throughout the descriptions of certain mentalities in combat, of smothering, of circling, through describing different movements, through describing the philosophies of other schools, through describing the disciplines, through describing the scaling of the martial way to the individual to armies, it never ceases. He's saying yes, no, maybe, perhaps not at all, and all at once. It never ceases. And yet it is all correct. It is layers upon layers upon layers of concepts. Layers upon layers of virtue. And it finishes with a scroll that one can meditate on for the rest of his life. The scroll of emptiness. And writing about the science of martial arts of the individual school of two swords and the scroll of emptiness, the meaning of emptiness is that the realm where nothing exists or cannot be known is seen as empty. Of course, emptiness does not exist. Knowing of non-existence while knowing of existence is emptiness. 
wrongly viewed among the people of the world, not understanding anything in itself considered emptiness. This is not real emptiness. It is all delusion. In the context of the science of martial arts as well, and carrying out the way as a warrior, not knowing the laws of warriors is not emptiness. Being confused, one may call a state of helplessness emptiness, but this is not real emptiness. Warriors learn military science accurately, and go on to practice the techniques of martial arts diligently. The way that is practiced by warriors is not obscure in the least. Without any confusion in mind, without slacking off at any time, polishing the mind and attention, sharpening the eye that observes and the eye that sees, one should know real emptiness as a state where there is no obscurity and the clouds of confusion have cleared away. As long as they do not know the real way, whether in Buddhism or in worldly matters, everybody may think their path is sure and is a good thing, but from the point of view of the straight way of mind, seen in juxtaposition with overall social standards, they turn away from the true way by the personal biases in their minds and their individual warps in their vision. Knowing that mentality, taking straightforwardness as basic, taking the real mind as the way, practicing martial arts in the broadest sense, thinking correctly, clearly, and comprehensively, taking emptiness as the way, you see the way as emptiness. In emptiness there is good, but no evil. Wisdom exists. Logic exists. The way exists. Mind is empty. This is a book I read every single day. I meditate upon its works every single day, and every day I learn something new. It teaches me so much in the smallest actions of mine. It teaches me so much in the mundane chores of life. It teaches me so much in everything, in absolutely everything, in sparring, in lifting weights, in riding, in taking walks, in growing plants, in hanging up my coat, in brushing my teeth, everything is everything in this book. Everything is small and everything is grand. And it will teach me everything until the day that I die. It is not my faith. It is not the most literal essence of my connection to the divine. But when I first read it, I understood why 
people discovered it as a way in which to live life. But I never, I never had this sense of discovery when reading it. I only had this sense of reflection. The rhythm. He speaks of rhythms, of winning, rhythms of losing, and one must know the rhythm in everything. He speaks about the mastery of rhythms, but you hear the rhythm of the final scroll. And this is a rhythm of infinity. You can feel the figure eight. The way it circles round and round and round back to center each time. With each word and each phrase. And you can feel it. You can feel it between the words. This is not idolatry. This is not replacement. But this is faith in motion. This is discipline in motion. This is intellect in motion. This is mindfulness in motion. This is meditation in motion. This is part one of this episode, for all of you who are listening. I postponed this episode, as many of you know. I did not see myself in the right frame of mind to record yesterday. And when I began today, I did not see myself once again in the right frame of mind. to perform this episode in entirety. I, I spoke to you in this announcement that I made that I will spend the night in meditation. And I will summit this state through the most vigorous physical exercise. And I had many insights in this meditation. However, I did not feel still that the time was right. I felt that I needed the Saturday. The darkest day, the war against the darkest day. The awareness, the intensity, and the preparation of the soul for the holy day. In order to properly express the second half of this episode. The contents of which are completely my own. Well... The curation of the contents are completely my own. So I split it in two. I split it with this book of five rings. 
that has been a reflection for me, a reflection of me. Before seeing the rest of the mirror. Tomorrow I will battle. Tomorrow I will rise in true discipline, in true meditation, in true deep thought, in true rigorous exercise, in true resistance, and in true calm. And I will conclude this. Until then, good night and good storms. Thank you.